HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Catskill Provisions. Located in a small corner of northwest Catskill Mountains, they specialize in creating raw, all-natural, handmade food products. For more information, visit CatskillProvisions.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with the lovely Aida Molenkamp. Hello. Thanks How's for having going? me. Thanks for being here. Um, you were someone that I knew but didn't know uh, since 2005. Right. Uh, we both, not collaborated, but worked together at mm-hmm. Chow. Um, and ever since then, I've been seeing what you've done, your work. And this is just such a cool time to have you on because Keys to the Kitchen is such a wonderful culmination of know uh your past education mm-hmm. uh your your foils and you know thank you yeah so th- it must be pretty cool to have this finally out yeah it is um so you know i i worked in media since basically then since 2005 and i felt really fortunate to be at chow and i think what really stayed with me from there is that concept that there's a lot of people who know how to eat well, but don't necessarily know how to reproduce it themselves. Um, and I took that, kind of ran with it, and that became Keys to the Kitchen. So it's been two years, and now it's out, and it's still surreal. So yeah. It shows up at, I don't know, my friend's apartment, or they call me, Instagram it, and I'm still like, wait, that's a book I created. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not just a book. I mean, it, it is, it's it's a biblical proportions. I mean, this is something I don't that, know about <laughs> biblical proportions, Well, maybe those Michael. small little Gideons ones that they oh, put in the okay. hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> but Motel I mean, six yeah, levels. Exactly, yeah. yeah mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Super 8s. Um, <laughs> but it is something that isn't uh, a single point of view. I mean, it, it is a bookends uh, kind of book uh, right. with so many uh, facets to it, tips, techniques, mm-hmm. uh, ethnicities, such as yourself. Not, yes. not, not that Molenkamp is a multi-ethnic name. No, um, it's not. <laughs> what kind of name is that anyway? What's your heritage? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Drunk Irish just, people. Just another mutt. Yeah. No, no, I kind of know. That's not true. Okay. 
Um, so I, I'm just like my name. I'm the, my first name, Aida is Italian and I am 50% Italian and then I'm 50% Mollenkamp. What Mollenkamp is, is debated. Somebody told me it's Prussian. I don't know. Yeah. Dutch. I like Dutch. And when I'll tell you this, when I show up in Amsterdam, everybody speaks to me in Dutch. So yeah. I'll take that. And that's what I'm going to go with. Excellent. And your family, uh, did they cook traditionally Italian food growing up or did they cook Prussian? Yeah, yeah, they cooked extensive Prussian food. <laughs> um, they cooked, yeah. So my dad is like meat and potatoes, Northern Ohio guy. So my dad specializes in beef stroganoff, which is why I have a meatless version of it. On the, the spaghetti, don't they do like the chili mm-hmm. sauce on the spaghetti yeah, yeah, too? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh, that's Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. Too. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. We're not from Cincinnati, yeah. so I've never actually <laughs> had that. I think that's. Um, Michael Ruhlman would be able to talk yeah. to you about that. <laughs> I uh, then my mom is from a town that seems like it's out of some mid-century movie about steel mills like it's a steel mill town on the ohio river and it's you're either greek or italian absolutely nothing else so that so we grew up cooking greek and italian food and that's kind of what i was i don't know i was fortunate you know i had a family that cooked yeah and i have a stepmother who is from northern france and she you know taught me my first souffle and potato leek soup yeah yeah. at 12 years old so So that's your francophile self because yeah after going to school you went to cornell uh, Mm -hmm. the hotel management yeah um that experience, what, what is that like? Does that feel more business oriented than it does cooking? You know, the program was going through transition. I was there in the, you know, at the turn of the millennium and it really was transitioning at that moment. And so I kind of kept going back and forth and I like kept one foot in real estate and finance and I kept one foot in operations. And so you have to work about a thousand hours or something before you can graduate and I kept going back and forth between working in kitchens and working at like consulting firms and stuff like that. So it's a think of it like a really great undergrad economics program, but instead of studying widgets, you're studying things like food costs yeah. and how to run a hotel. Well, I mean, which is super necessary because mm-hmm. a lot of people go the chef route without ever realizing yeah. that they have to deal with numbers afterwards. Yeah, and I think what it really gave me personally was. Um, you're exercising right and left brain the whole time that you're doing a program like that. And I wanted that in my job. And so I think that's eventually why I ended up in media as opposed to staying in the, you know, in the actual service side of the industry. I mean, asking these questions, I'm seeing more and more how this book uh, became what it is (laughs) and how it's composed because, uh, in Keys to the Kitchen, you even talk about sanitation. I mean, yes. the, the, the organization <laughs> is very logistical, is very managerial. So, okay, you should know that when I was at a uh, real estate, I don't know, finance, consulting, whatever the heck that job was, um, I used to be the person who would build those extensive Excel models. So I'm really skilled, really skilled at making formulas, which is why I base the whole book on a formula. Awesome. You, you know? should talk to Scott, uh, the Seattle Food Geek. Yes. He actually worked on Excel. He helped build that with Microsoft. I, I didn't know that. We yeah. were talking yeah. too. That's funny. I didn't know <laughs> that. We're going to have a whole Excel <laughs> My, conversation. Yeah, don't have that on there. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, maybe. Maybe we'll find a whole other demographic. No. Uh, <laughs> no, it's really not that exciting. But, you know, that, that I think that gave me the structure for the book because I said when I... Um, so when I was at Chow, Chronicle is actually down the street, seriously, two blocks down. And I felt they were my dream publisher. Um, they're the biggest independent publisher in the nation. And, you know, they care about graphic design. They care about absolutely, you know, photography, something you care mm-hmm. about, too. And they care about the aesthetics as much as the quality of the writing and everything. So, um, it really was a matter of how to organize it. And it came down to that concept of, 
you go from the store and then you go into your kitchen. Let's organize it that way. And so that's why there's those four sections. You go from the store to how to organize your pantry to how to pick up a knife to actually the cooking part. So, I mean, you went to school in Paris at Le Cordon Bleu. Yes. Is this how you were taught as well? No, no. <laughs> Cordon Bleu is a really... Okay, well, now that name is like, I don't know. where it, it, It's it's like the Starbucks of culinary schools yeah. now. So there's... I don't know what the program is like on the state side. But Cordon Bleu Paris is the original. Um, you know, it's where Julia Child learned to cook. And uh, I don't know what that was my accent. <laughs> Julia Child for an American we'll from Pasadena. Yeah, thank you. So she... You basically, the, the school hasn't changed. And so you have probably as much space as I have here in this chair to cook. You have one, maybe two burners, and you are shown how to cook something and then have to reproduce it. There is not, I don't even know if there was paper in the school. It was like really hard to take notes. I don't yeah. know why. There was no book. There was nothing. And I don't know if that was just French style. You're even graded on the French 20-point system, which I was like, so I'm good at math, but I don't know. Is it good in France to get a 14 or am I sucking? I don't, I don't even know what my scores were. But um, that program, that program was just really interesting. It's, it's more regionally based. So you go from like 19th century French cuisine from the Loire Valley and then the next semester you move on to something else. And the final, final semester is when you're like really getting into a more current cuisine. Yeah. It was dated, you know. But I mean it provided you this great foundation to uh, you know have a, a lexicon, have an yeah. you know, technique and I I think what it really provided was this. I felt like there were holes in my skill set from having gone to undergrad in hospitality management but not having gone to culinary school. And so I was I kind of like went reverse. I think if I'd gone to culinary school and that was it and then I never went to college and hadn't worked that 1000 hours, then I think I would have felt a little bit yeah short so side. i mean with those two sides of the brain <laughs> I mean, working culinary school was horrible it was really great it was yeah. fun and i'm still i still love it i mean people get different things out of it it's, yeah. it's not to say that you know you go there intentionally to be a chef you go there like you're saying uh you should go there at least to understand that you're going to gain a skill set and that yeah. doesn't necessarily put you in a position well i knew it yeah and i knew i wanted to go into media yeah. i basically um so i worked at ernst and young i would drive to downtown la from i actually worked between new york and la offices i would drive to downtown la and i realized one day when i got a bon appetit magazine and opened the front cover that their offices were two blocks from my apartment so then i started realizing i'd be sitting at this light on San Vicente in Wilshire and I'd be like looking up at their offices and daydreaming and realized I needed to switch jobs. Yeah. And so I went to culinary school to get into media because I knew I wanted to work in a test kitchen and I, you know, I knew that you had to have that, that had to be your pedigree. Yeah. So, I mean, you chow.com, you had ask Aida on the food network, yeah. uh, uh, food crafters on cooking channel. Yeah. How did you present yourself? I mean, what were you trying to, you know, relay onto the audience that you've learned in your past? Um, you know, that all kind of, I, 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 things kind of just happen. They like unravels as little steps and I was really fortunate. So I don't know if I really thought of it that way. I've always thought I, I have that mentality of being on an editorial team and I, it's really that team mentality. Like I go that way with all my food, all my cooking and everything. And so when I was put in front of camera and, um, started cooking on TV, I still wanted to collude with people. I still wanted to hold their hand. And so it really comes down to that for me. I think you eat three times a day, you might as well make it interesting. And I always say to people that 
every time you go to the store, every time you pick up a menu, you have an opportunity to try something you've never tried before. You have something, you know, it's like there's really endless possibilities. And so I think that's what I really wanted to communicate. And that's why sometimes on Food Network, people would say, I don't get what your cooking is. It's you're not Italian like Jada. (laughs) You're not Southwestern like Bobby. And I'm like, no, I'm this new generation that's eclectic, but it's based in Whole Foods. And the concept is to kind of just keep it fun. Yeah. West Coast eclectic. West Coast eclectic. Define that term. You coined it too, right? No, Somebody coined it for me, actually. Um, I think it was Sarah Desser on it. Um, Seven by seven. I think that's where she was when she said it. So she, she kind of said that to me. She was like, you know, I think that's what this generation is, is it's this melting pot 2.0 or 3.0, whatever we are now, where it's, it's our whole generation grew up eating everybody else's food. I mean, I always say to people like I went to this high school in LA where my best friends were all first generation of different places from all over the world, like Persian and Japanese and I don't know, everywhere, seriously everywhere. And as a result, I ate all that food. And so it's that concept of like, it's not going to eat ethnic food. It's not going down to like, to Thai town just to go eat noodles at night. It's like it's everywhere all the time and that's what you understand. It's like cooking without borders. Yeah. yeah. It, isn't that, wasn't that a show? What, no, what, what was that? Quite possibly. I but I just, I just yes. can't stand the yes. term melting pot anymore. I don't like it. Because that feels like throwing everything in there and letting, you know, the shit boil out of it. Yeah. It's yeah. just becoming crap. Well, you know, so I spent a good amount of time over in Hawaii and, um, <clears throat> That place is finally getting off its feet in terms of cuisine. Our generation is like really taking the reins in the kitchens over there, which is super cool to see. And the thing they care the most about is exactly that is saying it's not just throwing everything in there and just letting shit boil. It's like you actually have to figure out why you want to combine this with that. And so they won't say pack rim. They won't say melting pot. They won't say any of that stuff either because of that. And I think that's just what we're doing in our generation is we're saying I just want flavors that go together and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like Persian with Italian yeah. with the Southeast Asian food. It's just, I like these flavors. It's being bold, but respecting uh, that inherent ingredient. And yeah. I think you've shown that throughout your career that yeah. you do care about that. And Food Crafters is also an excellent example because you're going there and picking out, you know, uh, you know, singular uh, objects ingredients, and people. Ingredients, yeah. Yeah, um, right. Who were some of your favorite interviewees? Jeez, uh, Food Crafters is so much fun. Yeah. I, I kind of wish I could like live that. Food Crafters every day. Yeah. I can't tell you how much fun it was. Seriously, my crew was amazing. There were like three of us. <laughs> we became family. Um, yeah, God, Food Crafters is a hard one. People always ask me what my favorite was and it's just really hard to say. Well, I, I How about a, New York uh, in general? What around here do you remember? The Little Bit Girls were a ton yeah. of fun. We had so much fun the day and it was blazing hot and I'd never been to bed before and I swear we had a call cut 50,000 times because there was like an, an ambulance going by yeah. every two seconds because <laughs> of the Bed-Stuy. But um they were just a ton of fun. And I think they do that. They have so much fun with their ingredients and it just comes out in their personalities and in the kitchen. So that was a good time. And then my, I'd say my absolute favorite New York though is, so mother-in-law kimchi. Yeah. Um, Lauren's mom flew out from the West coast. I had gone to her family's restaurant when I was growing up eating Korean food there. And, um, and her mom came in and it was again, so hot that her mom (laughs) would hang out in the walk-in it's to the extent that we couldn't get her to come out while we were actually rolling <laughs> on camera. And she's making the kimchi with these um, Hello Kitty apron and hot pink, what a lot of my Korean girlfriends call kimchi gloves. They're like hot pink, so they never stain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hot pink, uh, elbow length gloves. She's like, I don't know, a septuagenarian. She gets in there and she's, she goes, 
I thought, I want you to be my my daughter. Just come in here and make kimchi. So finally the crew was like, fuck it. We're just going to film this thing in the walk-in. So like a good awesome. half of that segment was in there. And it was so hilarious. So much fun. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, talking about single ingredients, uh, kimchi itself, you know, comprised of a few things. Right. But I mean, it's such a specific product. And obviously yeah. there's so much care in, in that product. Yeah. Um, how do you translate taking those things and not compromising them in recipes? Um, you know, I, I think it just really comes down to thinking about why you're using that ingredient to start with and um, making sure that that's still there in the end. Um, you know, going with the kimchi example, it's that complex, fishy, spicy, umami thing that you don't want to lose. So I don't know. You know, it's I, I, I like throwing it in an omelet because just the fat of the egg just carries that flavor. And there you go. It's super simple and it's delicious. That's why it's good in a quesadilla as well. You know, that just bolstering the flavor. Yeah. Not not messing with it. Not yeah. modeling it. Well, I mean, you live partially in L.A. right now. And yeah. Roy Choi, you know, brought kimchi yeah. tacos to yeah. the forefront. Yeah. So just seeing... Those examples you mentioned and and him as a prime example, how kimchi has gone, you know, across borders and infiltrated so many different uh, cuisines. Yeah. And I think that's what's cool about cuisine right now is like we can take these flavors and just completely shift the, you know, the prototype of how you're supposed to serve it. And even if it's taste, I mean, good kimchi stew is still always going to be a good kimchi stew, right? Like that is no disrespect. Absolutely none. Absolutely none. But you know, it's just just fun. I mean, I think that's what's nice. It's just not feeling like you're tied into some boundaries of how it's supposed to be or what it's supposed to taste like. I mean, I don't know if you've been to, um, to Mission Chinese yet, but I think that's what, you know, Danny does a really nice job yeah. with that. And he, I, I remember one dish, I don't know if he's serving it. I haven't been to the New York location, so I don't know if he's serving it out here. But one time he came out of the kitchen, he said, okay, I've got this, you know, and the idea is I've spent time in Oklahoma and I want to basically make Peking duck, but pay respect to Oklahoma barbecue. <laughs> and so he puts it all together on this plate and he's like, got the white bread, sandwich bread with the butter pickles that you would have in the South with Peking duck flavors going on. And you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? This is so good. Why didn't somebody do this before? Yeah, and you, that's what's fun, you know? Yeah, usually when I eat at Mission Chinese, I don't talk. Because I'm, I'm just gorging. Yeah, I mean, it's just, on the mapo tofu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when I'm Those not spicy talking chicken wings. I'm enjoying myself. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time there. It's fun. And um, they still play gangster rap out here like they do in San Francisco. I, I haven't been to this one yet. Uh, no, uh, but that's like every my time favorite I go to thing. San Francisco, literally I get off the plane and uh, think about calling them for takeout. I'm like, I'll just meet you at 24th Bart, you know. <laughs> Bring me it's some that, uh, beef cheeks. It's that or, pa- or papalote for me, actually. Yeah, awesome. Papalote is like my stop through on the way to SFO. You when know, I walk that up pumpkin. The hill awesome. sometimes, yeah. I dream about that. Well, were you were you a chow when we figured out we deconstructed that salsa? No, but so now I'm gonna go back in the archives and Yeah, they um they pumpkin seeds. Excellent. So basically it's like this mole texture going on in a salsa that I still, to this day, I just have to buy it like by the gallon. I could make it, but no, yeah. I'd rather buy it. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And now we know Aida's got chops. <laughs> we're going to give you the keys to the kitchen when we get right back. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Music for the food scene is performed by Cookies. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Catskill Provisions has Valentine's Day literally in the bag with their Seal the Deal gift bag. Start with chocolate honey truffles and then move on to breakfast in bed with their traceable organic pancake mix and New York State maple syrup. Sure to satisfy any ardent locavore, check out the Catskill Provisions Seal the Deal package at www.catskillprovisions.com. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Ask Aida. Aida <laughs> Molenkamp. And we are going to... Ask gonna... Aida. Great, thanks. <laughs> Never going to live that one down. No. I mean, you were like our generation Sarah Moulton. Yeah, yeah. thanks. I appreciate yeah. that. I've, I've had Sarah here before, and I'm sure she would respect the hell out of what you were doing, because it's no easy task to kind of feel those questions and, you know, give those kind of answers, uh, you know, pseudo on the fly. I mean, trying to... Yeah. You know, uh, interpret everyone's crazy. <laughs> it, it was it was a lot. Um, yeah. I think that I had no idea what that concept was when they until they put me in front of camera. I was like, yeah, it's cool. I'm yeah. I'm I'm like I've done ballet and musicals. I don't know. I can do multiple things yeah, at once. Yeah. Pat my belly, and then I got in front of camera. And I was like, what the f? Yeah. The first day, no, not the first day. The first week, I got in front of camera. We're out there on this on the set, and the producer at the time says, "Don't you dare call cut." you are talent. Like gives me this whole talk, right? And she's like, I am the producer. I'm the only <laughs> one on this set who can call cut. So we start putting some oil on the stove. I'm giving my intro and, uh, I can be long winded sometimes. So long story short, I'm sitting there getting to the camera and I see out of the corner of my eye that this thing's starting to blaze. I mean, we've got like three foot flames coming out of the saute pan <laughs> and I'm like, she said not to fucking go cut. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I hope there's the pyro guy on yeah. set. And, he, and all of a sudden he's like, cut, cut, cut. What are you doing? Why the fuck didn't you call cut? And I was yeah. like, I don't know. She told me not to. I was so scared of her. So yeah, I kind of, it took a while to figure that one out. But it was fun, you know, because people always thought we were like making up these questions. I was like, no, people are asking us these questions. Oh, yeah. And it's a lot of the same questions. Can I wash a turkey? Like, why is my, I don't know, pickle not turning out correctly or yeah. whatever. And it was the same stuff. Well, I mean, so let's go right into keys to the kitchen. Yeah. Um, it addresses a lot of those questions. Yes. And in a lot more organized manner than three foot flames <laughs> and washing turkeys. Right. But, you know, the setup, I think, is one of the smartest parts of this book because often they say you know these are the ingredients go out and get them you actually give people uh, a way to understand how to go out and get those ingredients and where to get those ingredients and what to look for right well you know i was so san francisco is i I, has really made me who i am as a food person but the one thing i think happened when i was living there full-time was it got a little bit myopic about how easy it is to come across really good produce uh, food crafters, we were traveling around so much, I, I kind of woke up to how it can be difficult to find good stuff. And um, so I wrote the book in Los Angeles mostly and would ch- challenge myself and go out and take one of my sisters or my friends or somebody with me and see what their problems were. And it just became really evident that 90% of the time they were just not buying stuff that was ripe or in good condition or storing it badly. So I was like, man, if you just read these like first 50 pages of my book, your, your cooking's going to be like 19 times better. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping we'll see. I don't know if my that sister ever read. This <laughs> <laughs> well, she just comes over to your house and you cook. for her. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. One sister cooks a lot. That sister, yeah. not, not so much. Yeah. So, I mean, even simple things like storage, uh, uh, keeping nuts in the freezer. I mean, right. things that people don't know or how to, 
preserve uh, herbs, you know, uh, right. either in compound butters or... Right, know, in oil. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, and there's stuff that maybe you've come across. Um, there's stuff that you maybe do a different way. Um, there's more than one way to skin a cat or peel a garlic, right? Um, I just tried to provide it all in one place. Because do, you, do you really have skinning a cat in your book? No, <laughs> no. But you know what? There's, you know, the enjoy of cooking. They had um, like cooking squirrel. I don't know if they do in the current in the current edition. And that's what I said to Chronicles. I was like, you know, I don't want the cooking the squirrel part. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get away from that and like actually do stuff that people need today in their kitchen. So yeah. that was the focus. Excellent. So part two, how to hone your techniques. Right. Um, amongst that though, are, are, are small little tips and techniques that a lot of people uh, don't know, like blooming spices. Right. Um, what are some of the other ones that you just took for granted that you realize a lot of people uh, weren't, you know, enacting? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I think the big one I, I was aware of, but I tried to really emphasize is that people aren't using sharp knives in their kitchen or they're using the wrong kind of cutting board. And so there's, that's like an uphill battle right there. Um, but well, I think the major one I took for granted, the two major things I took for granted that I came to realize because I was working with my makeup artist on uh, food crafters who is she cooks quite a bit she also works on jotted shows she's a very pretty accomplished home cook and the two things she never did were um she wouldn't heat up her pan and i was like it's it's metal it needs to expand like you aren't going to get this even heat like all these things need to actually physically happen to the metal before you can cook with it well so she wasn't doing that and then she wasn't salting or seasoning as she cooked and it's little things like that that I think if you go to culinary school, if you work in a kitchen, you you just you do take for granted. But then there were things that even my dear friend and recipe tester and food stylist for the book, Lillian King, would come across and when she read it and she'd be like, oh, I never thought of peeling garlic this way because different people just do it different ways. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I tried to put a lot of that in there. It really came down to providing that and then making sure that the recipes I wrote had the appropriate technique in the front of book. And so I'm sure there are things I could have added, you know, I probably could have added more, but I tried to keep it manageable. It's, it's a pretty, it's pretty chock full. Yeah. It's I mean, chock-full. there's a lot of information in there to say the least. <laughs> there was a point where I started writing <laughs> and I was like, Oh, I'll get this done really quickly. Yeah. And next thing I knew, I turned in a document that was like 600 pages. And I was like, I've never written that much in my life. I didn't even know it was possible. Plus photos, plus infographics. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, this is chock full. It, it crashed my computer, the manuscript. <laughs> it crashed it three times. And I have like a good Mac. I was like, oh my God, yeah. this document's freaking Well, I huge. mean, if you get this book, it won't crash your bookshelf. It because won't. it's actually really compact. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of very streamlined too in, in, in how it's separated. But going back to, you know, a hot pan and yeah. how important that is. I mean, you have a, a troubleshooting section at the back and you state... You know, Did why you read isn't... the whole book? <laughs> You're incredible. I'm, I'm a little bonkers. Are you a speed um, reader? No, but I'm selective <laughs> okay. in the right way. <laughs> okay. I'm but, very impressed. I mean, uh, something, you know, your food doesn't brown. Why is that? Right. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Searing a fish. Right. I mean, the proper way to do that. So yeah. it's all relative to having a hot pan. Right. And, yeah. you know, that that's what you have to have to accomplish so many different yeah. things. Yeah. I, there are these basic things. The other thing I kept realizing, because my best friend would, I would make zucchini. We have like abundance of zucchini in our CSA in San Francisco when, when we lived together there. And I'd make it and I'd brown it. Just classic Italian style. Throw some, you know, sweet, sour kind of. Some balls, dolce, yeah, yeah, something, something like that throw it aside and she'd always be like i can't get my zucchini to get as brown as yours finally i walk in there one day and she's 
talking on the phone, cooking, and just like moving the zucchini every two seconds. Yeah. And I was like, why are you moving it so much? She's like, well, I'm cooking. I'm like, cooking does not need to be an action. You can just let the heat do the action cooking work for you. Patience. You know, so I think there's little things like that that I don't know. I feel like they sound so basic and so people don't dumb, know. but some people don't know. Yeah, them. yeah. Some people. The recipes. Yeah. I mean, it'd be wrong of me to ask what your favorite is because there are so many beautiful recipes. Thank you. Um, and, and fascinating ones too, like the balsamic caramel, uh, you know, roasted chicken, yeah. which just is decadent looking. It is decadent looking. Do you like that photo? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's that was a, a hard photo to get. Yeah. No, I, as a photographer, I know how tough that right? was. So I, I, I enjoy it. We for its like accomplishment in many reasons. Big high fives yeah, in, the, in yeah. the photo studio when we got that one that day. Um, you know, the, the big thing for us was, uh, I mean, for us, for me, for me and my team of me and me <laughs> who worked on that book, I have so many people to thank, including myself. Um, <laughs> it's really embarrassing. I'm like, everybody's like, so who, who researched it? And who did this and that? I'm like, oh, yeah, that was me on yeah. Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday. Um, the major thing for me with the recipes was I think that people don't always um, – this is just the dork math person in me. I don't think people um, deduce what they're learning when they're cooking sometimes. So I wanted to say, you're learning how to roast a chicken here and you're actually learning how to dry brine. I love the, you know, Nancy Silver, it's, it's the, uh, sorry, it's the Zuni technique, you know, Nancy's technique of putting that salt on that chicken just works fabulously. That's what I rely on. The thing though is, um, I didn't want to just make you a, a roast chicken. So I put the glaze on there and the concept is this. You can kind of take the recipe simpler and you can take off the, the glaze and then you have a classic, classic, classic roast chicken. Or you can put the glaze on and then you have something a little bit interesting because it's um, balsamic, soy, ginger, garlic, and just provides a ton of flavor. Um, or you can make a variation or a riff on it. So I wanted every recipe to teach a technique. So every single chapter, like the, the chicken chapter, there's a different style of preparation of chicken, whether it's poaching it or pan roasting it or roasting it, whatever. And then I wanted every single recipe to be either amped up or simplified. And the major thing for me was empowering people. I wanted them to take a recipe, walk away from it and be like, cool, I like it like that, but this is how I'm going to change it. Yeah. And it's funny how I, there's something about it that, um, people have already started doing that and I really have loved seeing it. And it's just simple tweaks, you know, yeah. swapping out one ingredient for another but or fascinating whatever. at the same time. And, and you say empowering people to be able to riff on it. These are yeah. not traditional recipes no. to, to begin with. I mean, starting from the French toast, uh, you know, sandwich, what, what, what's in that sandwich again? Um, it's a hazelnut cocoa spread. You know, I, I don't want to say Nutella cause I hate that stuff. Yeah. It is the most disgusting stuff in the world. My French stepbrothers would sit there and do two things when I was little, which grossed me out. And one was they would take Nutella and eat it just right out of the jar. Right. And just like keep the spoon in there and open on the counter. Like people do with peanut yeah. butter, but <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was disgusting. And then the other thing they'd do is take condensed milk comes in like a toothpaste tube in France and they would suck on it. <laughs> Okay, and just like squeeze it into their mouths. So they're like just these visions of my dorky brother. Okay, I'm totally talking shit about my brothers. But <laughs> they, I wanted to put those flavors in there and show you that they can be absolutely delicious and don't have to be crap Nutella. Yeah. Um, yeah, so every single recipe is a little bit of a switch. I basically figured out where I'd been traveling and I'd been to Lebanon, Sweden, and India right before then. I wish I traveled that exotically all the time. It just happened to all happen within the 18 months right before I worked on the book. 
And so those really heavily influenced me. The well, spices and yeah, everything. The Indian burritos. They're a prime <laughs> yeah, example. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love a cotty roll. Right. And for introducing people into what a cotty roll is, right. this is ingenious. Thank you. Can you, can you tell people what that recipe is about? Yeah. It's like, it, I mean, it's super simplified. Um, I think East Coaster, well, New Yorkers probably are pretty familiar with a cotty roll. Um, I don't, I don't see it as often on the West Coast for whatever reason. And I remember my friend, uh, uh, we were in India for um, a friend's wedding. And my friend from Poughkeepsie who went to college with me was with me. And you can imagine this like Rambo-esque dude with a puffy vest on and uh, full bandana the whole time we're going with a thick New York accent <laughs> running around telling everybody like it is. And he just wanted Cotty Roll everywhere we went. So it was kind of my nod to him. But I want to simplify it and also give you the ability to take those ingredients and change it. So it's curry cauliflower. And you could make that a side dish or you could just, you know, put that into a pilaf or do whatever you want with it. Or you could just turn it into a burrito. And it's it's also that nod to the fact that it's, I don't know, there's certain things like what a pizza or a burrito or taco that you can kind of almost put anything in there and it yeah. tastes delicious. Um, but I also didn't want to bastardize the fact that the kati roll is a real true thing in India and, um, you know, fuck with it too much. Yeah. Well, let's take two soups as a prime example of this. Uh you didn't bastardize either. You gave a quick root to one and a slight iteration to another. Tomato soup with orange. Right. That little bit of orange juice uh, kind of changes. It does. And, and the grilled cheese croutons completely changes that recipe in, into yeah. its own. Thank you. Um, and then the the fobo, the fo 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 But like the cheat the cheat sheet, uh, um, you know, fa. Yeah. Because the, the, and those are, the, it's funny, every single recipe is actually related to a friend and experience. I didn't really realize this until we started talking about them like this. Thank you for making me realize this. Um, <laughs> up a bit. The, the tomato soup, um, there were th- certain recipes that Chronicle just really wanted me to have in the book. You know, I had to have a meatball, a meatloaf, a tomato soup. And I just was like, you know, like F it. These are the most boring things in the world to me. I grew up in a family who had meatloaf all the time and my mom's was fine. Yeah. Like I just didn't want to put them in the book. Um, so I, I, I had to, had to, had to change it a little bit. So my concept is this, I take a recipe and I try to take something you're familiar with and turn it on its head just enough. So it's maybe a little bit more inspired, not inspired, but just a little more interesting than it might always be out of the can of the Campbell's. Um, or I try to take something that you're not so familiar with. Um, like, uh, you know, a lot of people don't use coriander and cardamom um, in all the different savory and sweet ways that you can. So I wanted to introduce that in the book and pr- and give you preparations that were simple enough that you wouldn't feel like, I don't know, you were taking too much of a risk. And then the, the faux pho came about because... Um, because my boyfriend just eats so much fucking pho. <laughs> and I was like, you are just like a MSG boy. You need yeah. to get that out of your system. And Plus, so I started making it. it takes forever to it. really make it. It takes forever to really make it. And I, and I was like, all my friends love it, right? They all go, but none of them make it from scratch and they're not going to go get the knuckle, all these cuts and stuff. And so I was like, you know, let's get that flavor, make it simpler. And um, I don't know, a couple of my... Uh, my friends who've made it are, are, are happy with the results. You know, it's never going to be exactly the same thing, but that's yeah. why it's faux pho. Well, I mean, faux pho, faux you, faux. you having that relationship with people, uh, which inflects itself in the recipes, I must say that the cornflakes on the chicken yeah. is such a throwback to my grandma. Right. And she always had cornflakes on top of the fridge. 
and we were never allowed to eat them for breakfast <laughs> because they were for chicken only. I love it. Yeah, that's and awesome. that's just an amazing uh, kind of. Yeah, but I, I I was having a hard time with cornflake chicken because um, a lot of times it doesn't just by itself it doesn't give you enough crunch. Yeah. So that's why there's you know a, a breading that's kind of multi layered because my my the major thing I kept realizing as I worked with my friends I did this like thirty question questionnaire for my friends to see what they did and didn't want in a book like this and the major thing i kept seeing is they were missing texture in their food yeah so things like that i was really wanting to make sure if it was crunchy it was really effing crunchy and you talk about that at the end you know about having textures um and flavor boosters too which i I don't want to miss out on talking about because these very simple things add so much to a recipe um and you you Go the gamut with infused oils, uh, garnishes, dips, vinaigrettes, and I love the date vinaigrette because I Thank think dates should be in a lot um, more recipes these days. I think Just, they're going to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm dates hoping. Dates the I'm, future. I'm saying this now. Yeah. Um, salsas, compound this. butters, uh, rubs, uh, marinades, the beer, lemon marinade. Yeah. I mean, that that's such a gateway to moho. Yes, I mean, it's, it's, it is. Yeah. Kind of awesome. Exactly. It was things like that, that I wanted to just be like, here's flavor ideas. And, um, you know, I also, I don't know if you saw this, I have this like weird matrix that explains to you complementary and contrasting flavors. And I think that's really a, a nod to the uh, Dorenbergs and um, the, work, <laughs> the work that they do because their books talk so much about pairing flavor, what to eat with what you drink and all those books. And yeah. I wanted to bring that to the home cook because, I mean, I, every chef I know re- relies on those books. It's helpful to know what does and doesn't work with flavors. And I wanted to provide that for people because I think sometimes you'll sit there and uh, this happens all the time with um, one of my sisters. She'll cook. She'll call me up. She's explaining to me what happened. And I'm like, you're missing the arc of flavor. You have the sweet. You don't have the salty, right? You have... You have the sweet, you don't have the bitter, whatever it is. And there's a reason we have those terms, bittersweet and sweet sour yeah. and all that, because they really, truly do complement each other. And I think sometimes that gets a little bit lost in translation for home cooks. Well, I think what you're giving with this book is the arc of the kitchen. So, you know, you're okay. showing all acts in, in, you know, part one, part two, part three. It feels like a complete story. Thank you. Um, and There are no cocktails, though. That's or a small bite. Well, because you have to have ne- your next Keys book. Keys to the cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've run out of time today, and I'm going to wait for that boozy book. Okay. That better be coming out soon. <laughs> Aida, thank you so much for being thank on. Thank you. And uh, look forward to cooking my way through Keys to the Kitchen. Thank you. You've been listening to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 